Hi, everyone. Welcome to our Friday session. I'm really, really excited. This has been such a massive week. We had Roger uh, talking about, uh, you know, uh, who we are, our profiles, and then we had Paul talking about the inner why, and we should be really clear on A, um, where we're at in our entrepreneurial journey, but also where we are, um, who we are, and where we want to head with our future vision. So today, we've invited the amazing Deborah Harris, who is a philanthropist, master trainer to Entrepreneur Institute, and an absolutely amazing um, financial controller, chief financial controller. So she is all about numbers. And what I love about what Deborah does, she's so passionate about doing what she does, is that she has uh, founded a business called um, Growth CFO, which are virtual CFO services for businesses who are purpose-driven and who want to make an impact in the world. What does that mean, virtual services? Really, it's about uh, making sure that you can get the same services as a financial controller would provide you, but for the fraction of a size, because you can um, hire them in from uh, Deborah's team. So it's absolutely amazing to have you here. Uh, Deborah, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Deborah, is a, we just talked about this, Deborah is a mechanic, 44% dynamo energy and 36% steel energy. So great person to uh, talk to us about how to set ourselves up for uh, personal cash flow and business cash flow and making sure that uh, we have our numbers right. Deborah, welcome. Thanks, Paulina. And uh, thanks for inviting me to come and speak today because it's amazing to have this opportunity and impact other people's lives. Yes, I, that's, I think that's why we're all doing it and why we are part of the mentoring and facilitating community. It's really about um, helping other businesses shine, right, and make a better impact. Yeah, absolutely. And so throughout this whole session today, Paulina, uh, we've got a team standing by to answer questions. And there'll be questions that they'll be answering throughout the time and we'll do a wrap-up set of questions at the end and we'll have ways to reach out as well. So make sure you use the chat and put all of your notes and stuff so forth in the chat and let us know if there's anything more that you need. Awesome. Thank you so much, Deborah. Absolutely. All our facilitators are on standby. Really excited. So let's get started. Deborah, I'll hand it over to you because I know you um, have a little bit something prepared for us and want to share our, your knowledge with us. So I'm um, really looking forward to what you've got to share. I, for everyone who's watching while Deborah is bringing up her slides, is every time I listen to Deborah, I pick up something new. And I have, you know, someone in, in my team doing all the accounts for me so that I can look at them in the end myself every week. But every time I, I listen to Deborah, um, I'm like, oh, I need to talk to my accountant about this, or oh, I need to talk to my um, financial controller about this. So, uh, really, really looking forward to what you've got to share. We, are we ready? Uh, we're ready. I'm just having trouble sharing my slides. So just a moment and I'll get that to work. So for everyone, while we're waiting, um, share with us where you're from. Um, um, what, like, what kind of um, profile are you and what are 
how do you feel about numbers would be really cool if you could put in the chat are you really looking forward uh, to every day to the numbers or are you dreading them like a lot of our beautiful lazy uh, humans they hate spreadsheets they hate numbers so i sometimes feel for them but there is a real key that we all have to understand what our numbers are so that we can make um calculated decisions around where we want to move forward right especially in growth so okay. comment below so here we go awesome and so today we're going to talk about creating our rhythm of cash flow for a business and especially for a startup business this is really important to start well and to work out how you're going to uh, just keep track of where you're at what's coming in how much is coming in and uh, just making sure that you've got all of the foundational stuff right so we're going to jump in and the objectives that we're going to cover off on are to give you a greater understanding of cash flow and help you create a budget and create your first cash flow forecast so that you can get these tools and work out exactly what you need to do with them and Pauline I'm going to make those available to you and your team and you'll see these come out with the beautiful logos on them from the the CLA program and that will be amazing to give you a head start uh, there'll be a personal budget and there'll be a business budget and there'll also be a cash flow forecast so then we're going to talk about a few different topics we're going to talk about the difference between cash flow profit and revenue just to make it super clear uh, what you need to be looking at in each of those spaces we're going to also talk about how to measure your money like what to measure how to measure it where to find all the information we'll have a, a brief touch on business models not so much things like uh, do you have a web web store or do you have uh, a franchise but we're going to talk about business models and how they impact cash flow so when the cash comes in when the cash goes out and the difference is there so we'll cover off on things like uh, cash flow timelines and then finally we'll jump into forecasts and how you and we'll go into a live uh, sheet and I'll show you how to use the live sheet that I'm going to send you so that you can do your own forecasts so we'll make a start with talking about, oops, sorry, my apologies, about the seven levers of cash flow. So there's seven levers of cash flow. Most people, and write in the chat box now, if you think, if you've got no cash flow in your business, that the only solution is to sell more. So just write yes or no in the box at the side. Great, great, keep it coming. So we've actually got seven levers of cash flow. And when we know that we've got seven levers of cash flows, things start to make sense because guess what? Selling more does not always solve cash flow problems. So we'll start with working out what are the levers of cash flow. The first two levers are our revenue levers. And the reason I put hearts here as the symbol is because we love money coming into the business. That's the whole point. 
if we're having money come into the business, it means we're exchanging value. It means that somebody else sees the value in what we're doing and they're prepared to pay for it. So revenue levers, love them. There's two of them. And the first one is price. Now, oh, sorry, I'll just talk about revenue in general. Is There's two levers, price and volume. It makes up this equation, price times volume. So what you sell and how much for, how much you sell and who to make up revenue. So that's pretty simple, right? You can understand that side of it. So price is the first revenue lever, what we sell and how much for. And when we're looking at price, the easiest way to increase our revenue or to improve our cash flow is actually to put the prices up. Now, that sounds a bit counterintuitive because you think if you put your prices up, you may lose customers. But there's lots of ways you can put your price up without losing customers, most of which can be done with bundling your services. Now, if you're just starting out, it may be that somebody else has a great product and you can provide a service around that product. So think about things that you can do that don't necessarily increase your costs but enable you to add greater value because if you add greater value, you can charge more for it. If you charge more for it, it means your price is going up and therefore you have better cash flow. Maybe. <laughs> and I'll cover off on why I keep saying maybe in a little while. The second thing we have is volume. You can see here there's three different size coffee cups. So they all hold a different amount. Now, we might sell a little bit of something that's really expensive. We might sell a lot of something that's really cheap or somewhere in the middle. Volume is best thought of as something that can influence cash flow, but only if everything else is okay. It can actually influence cash flow negatively as well as positively. And when you look at your volume of business, the easiest way to increase your volume is actually to go out to partners and see if they want to sell your product for you or with you. Or the opposite could be true, that you go out to partners and offer to sell some of their stuff rolled into yours. So that's volume. So they're the two cash flow levers that are around revenue. And this here is how we represent that in the Wealth Dynamics understanding. Because revenue is best driven by people, price is best driven by somebody who's high dynamo, high blaze. Uh, so people who are great at working out what the products should be, people who are work, great at working out what the markets should be. And the volume is great for people like who are, say, star profiles and supporter profiles because they know the people who might take it up. Now, the rest of the cash flow levers will actually overlap one over each of the profiles. These two overlap over three profiles. So there's seven levers, eight profiles. Just making that really clear. Oh, Paulina, this might be a great opportunity for people to put what their profile is in the chat box at the side because then we can, as they uh, see where their profile comes up, they may go, hey, you know what, I am actually really good at driving that cash flow lever. So when you're looking at putting on team, what lever are they best at driving? And that can become part of their return, part of their 
KPIs for the business. So when you look at what they're doing, you know, okay, that person's an accumulator, they're going to be great at, okay? So thanks for that, keep putting them in. It's pretty cool, we've got a few creators and stars on here and we also have a few accumulators. I've had some brilliant conversations with some of our participants, so this is really valuable. Thank you, Deborah. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Paulina. So, this, so these two levers are really around driving revenue. We're looking at revenue as being the top right quadrant of the Wealth Dynamics Square. And we found that this was a great way to explain, uh, to explain cash flow because when people understand their role of cash flow in the business, they can start to make some great decisions about how to do stuff. So the next two levers make up profit. And profit is revenue minus costs. Now there's actually two types of costs in a business. Um, and there's the costs that fluctuate up and down or variable costs, and we call those cost of sales. So there's two types of costs. I put them here as lemons because we always think of costs as being a bit icky, but in actual fact, cost of sales is a great cost to have because it's directly attributed to a product that you're selling. So if you don't have that cost, you can't produce your product or service. So, that's um, your cost of sales. So that's one of the costs. And the other cost, now we call it cost of sales or cost of goods sold. And because I'm a mechanic, I love to use cogs because it just makes it sound like such a process. So <laughs> I love using this term as cogs and you'll see everywhere in my pictures, images of cogs because I love systems and process. But the reason a mechanic is so good at working out systems and uh, the cost of sales is because we're so good at systems and process, right? So we, we're very good at picking out where can we find a cheaper alternative for that? Or how can we automate that process? Or how can we streamline that process to make it use less people, less time for labor, less goods, less everything. So that's why cost of goods sold is a great thing for a mechanic to do. You can tell I'm super excited about that because I'm a mechanic. And the other costs are overheads. I've represented them here as clouds because we often think of these things as um, the doom and gloom hanging over our heads. And it's fairly true, actually. This is the single biggest thing that make, makes many businesses come undone is because they think that they have to start with everything. So um, putting this chat box at the side, the things that you think uh, you may need to start your business with. Yeah. Yeah, so everybody thinks you've got to have a website, but do you really need to have a website? Does it need to be something that's really expensive? Do you need to rent a premises? You can often work out of your own home, like I am now, uh, working from home. And we actually started our business as a virtual business and have never operated anywhere other than from our laptops, wherever we happen to be. So there's yes electricity rates that's right so all of those costs are our overhead costs right so they're the other type of costs now the thing about these costs is typically they don't fluctuate or they don't fluctuate much they with how many things that we sell whereas cost of sales fluctuates up and down with how much we sell 
these guys sit over our heads and if we're selling nothing and there's a lot of people who've been in that situation with the pandemic they still have to make these costs and cover these costs and that's what's bringing a lot of people unstuck at the moment so this is what it looks like for a wealth dynamics square so you can see now that profit is represented in the top half of the square and lords are brilliant at picking out overheads give a lord a spreadsheet and the phone and tell them to start knocking those things off and i tell you they'll get on the email they'll get on the laptop they'll get anywhere they can they'll find ways to reduce these costs of sales i saw a lord reduce about 50% of their whole costs over the last three months just by getting on to suppliers and telling them that they had to give them a 50% discount. <laughs> so that worked really well for them. And, but, you know, that's, that's what people are now doing is they're giving people payment holidays. Be careful with payment holidays. Payment holidays always come to an end. Now, if your payment holiday is going to come to an end, are they going to expect you to pay that six months out, right? So you can get a payment holiday now, but always keep in the back of your mind when you're setting your budget, if your payment holiday is going to end, you need to have the amount that you're going to have to start paying there and then ready to go. So you're, you're, you should still put into your budget those costs, even if you've got a payment holiday on them. So that's just a little timeliness thing around this whole pandemic. So finally, we have the last three levers and these levers are all about timing. And whereas the other four levers all contribute to profit, these three levers are often ignored because they don't directly impact what we see on our profit and loss statement or our income and expenditure statement. And it's because they're all about time. Now, Paulina, you're an accumulator profile, is that correct? Trader. Oh, you're a trader profile. Still very tempo, very yes. tempo. So um, yeah, tempo is my thing, totally. Tempo is your thing. So this is where you're really going to have, oh, it's Shane that's an accumulator. You're going to have this lovely uh, situation where you're going to really identify with um, the different uh, levers here. So cash in minus cash out over time is how we work out cash flow. Now that can be one day, that can be a week, that can be a month. It, you can work out what the timing should be and how, how small or how susceptible you are to fluctuations in cash flow determines the period of time that you will start to look at this. So when you need to look at your cash flow more frequently, it's when you're really small or when things are fluctuating wildly like they are at the moment. So we've had situations where our customers have been coming to us, they've gone from having weekly services to daily services. We're back now to weekly services with them, but their, their fluctuations were so great that they needed to keep on top of the cash flow situation on a daily basis. So time is ours to measure and it's ours to work out the frequency of things when we need to know so that we're not stressing. This should not be keeping you awake at night. You should have it sorted and you can have it sorted just by making sure that you're doing the simple things around your cash flow. 
So here's our three levers of cash flow. The first one is great for deal makers. It's creditor days. Now, what are creditor days? Can anyone put it in the chat? Does anyone know what creditor days are? Yeah, it's the number of days that it takes you to pay your suppliers. So if you've got supply, say I order um, my boxes of goods here and I might get them delivered on day three, I have to start paying for them as soon as my invoice becomes due. So if the longer it, can it takes me to pay that invoice, the better for me. However, there's a caveat here. If you tick off your suppliers, they may not give you the best terms. So a deal maker is ideal here because they're going out and they're giving you really good measures with your suppliers. They're getting you the best conditions, they're getting you the discounts, and they create a win-win situation so that you're getting paid, uh, so, sorry, so that you're getting the goods when you need it and that your supplier is being paid when they need it. So this is measured in number of days. And then we have debtor days. This is our trader profile. Now debtor days is brilliant because for a, for a trader, this is where you are the most valuable person to feed information back to the people who are creating the, the products and services in the first place. The reason a trader is so good at debtor days, and I will, there is another stipulation around this, is that you can actually be on the front foot and connecting with customers so that they feel warm and loved and that they're nurtured so that they always want to pay their bills. Now, if that's not the situation for you right now, it may be that you might have to draw in the debt and a person who, who is maybe much more still, like a lord, may be the better person to put on that if you've got to pull in your debtor days. If your customers are taking too long to pay you, that may need to be somebody who's got a lot more still. But generally speaking, if it's just your normal process and you're starting it well from the start, a trader is a beautiful person to put into this role. I love you sharing this with us because in our uh, manufacturing business, I do all the debt collection. And I was trying to teach about three or four different people how to do debt collection. And I just can't because every time I pick up the phone to the client, they're like, oh, Paulina, I know why you're ringing. I'm going to pay you tonight. So I never could actually train them on how to have the conversation because <laughs> they were all too scared every time because I only called them when when there was an issue with their debt right so they always knew that oh by the time Paulina rings there's trouble so I could never ever have this training call with my staff because everyone literally I would pick up the phone and just say hi how are you and be like oh hi Paulina I know you're calling I'll pay you tonight <laughs> so not a great ability to train but oh, it is, not at all. it's a good example of why a trader is brilliant at that because they just know right they they know that you've given them great service the whole way through Paulina that's why they're embarrassed that you're calling them now and that's okay. that's exactly why so and I've actually seen people put on the bottom of their uh, proposals and we started to do this ourselves is that you'll never have to beg us to have great service so we don't actually have to, we don't expect to have to beg you to pay us. Nice. I like that. So, I think yeah. I should put that onto my invoice. <laughs> nice. Well, there you go. We'll start a trend. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. 
And our final lever, now this is going to sound strange. I said there were seven, right? But there's eight, but two of them are the same thing, only for different types of businesses. So this is stock turnover. And the other name for the, this lever is work in progress. Now I'll just explain the distinction. This is great for an accumulator profile. For example, many accountants fall into this category. Work in progress is what they, they call it WIP. They, what they start doing and before they finish doing. So the time that they've taken to do the tax return or to do whatever they're doing, the audit process, until they've completed it, they often bill at the end. So that work is not completed, signed and out the door until they've finished it. So there may be some costs incurred and keeping that number of days tight so that jobs are turned around as quickly as possible. Because if you think about it this way, Say you're in a manufacturing plant and you've got, uh, uh, Pauline, you can give me an example with this. You had a, a manuf uh, manufacturing business. So what happens when you get your first product on the shelf? Like when you first get your goods that come into the factory? Yeah, so um, we, were, we were manufacturing, so we would get raw materials in. Um, the real materials would be recorded in our stock, but then as soon as a client would go and say, hey, can you make me this? It would go into um, status audit and then into a working progress. And based on uh, where it was, if it was uh, um, with the draftsman, it would sit there and it would be like a category saying it's with the draftsman or it is with the uh, with the laser uh, um, laser operator or it is with the uh, distribution center, right? Or it's being couriered. It's like basically measured a step-by-step -step progress yeah. of where it is in the progress. Until yeah. from the moment the order came in to the moment the customer's receive, receiving the order, there's a working progress of uh, where are we, uh, uh, where we at with the uh, job so that everyone could see, oh yeah, it's being, it's been drawn or it's been um, produced or it's been wrapped up or whatever it is, yeah. And this distinction around why you want that number of days to be as short as possible is that when the raw materials come in, if there are raw materials sitting there, if something happened, you could sell them again. But once you started the process, there's very few opportunities along that line until you get to the end of the process, particularly if it's a bespoke thing that you're doing, for you to actually sell that until it's finished. So the shorter the time, the quicker the turnaround for actually having it sold and less likelihood that the sale will fall off or something like that. And so when we're talking about stock turnover, this is important because the longer the product sits on the shelf, and if you look here at this food, it's particularly relevant because if it sits on the shelf too long, you actually have to dispose of it, throw it out because it's past its use by date or sell by date. So we need to be looking at how long it takes some things to turn over because this is a great thing. If you've got stuff that's sitting there too long and your accumulators are on this as a project management thing, they can actually say to you, why don't you bundle in these crackers with the cheese and send it out as a cheese and cracker combo because the crackers are getting close to their use by date. So instead of putting a sales sticker on it, they're actually bundling things up and creating a higher value. Now you can imagine if it crackers and cheese are presented nicely, 
as a complete pack, you may pay more for that than what you would if you paid for two separate items. So this is where you can really get an accumulator to just add some power to the, the bundling and the pricing options at the, at the start. So a really good communicating team will actually help you here. So if you've got people that you plan to work with or if it's more than one of you starting, have a really good think about what, uh, how you can work out all of these skill sets and which skill sets you might be missing. So this is the full picture now. We've got price and volume and cost of sales and overheads. They're all measured in dollars or percentage. And the three at the bottom, our uh, creditor days, our debtor days and our work in progress or stock turnover, they're measured in days. Now, see the little guy down the bottom that's holding the debt? That's because when your customers are not paying you, you're, whole, you're like their bank. So you're actually carrying their debt and you need to think about how you're going to go about pricing so that you don't carry it for too long or that you don't carry it at all. Because sometimes you can get paid up front for things. Which flips me, ah, oh, so are, are there any questions? We're going to pop them in the chat and our mentors and facilitators are going to actually um, respond to some of these questions in a little while. Good, keep those coming in. So we're gonna move on to measuring money so that we can keep things rolling. And uh, Paulina, have you got any questions there? No, not uh, from me or from the team. From <laughs> the team. Oh, from the team. Yeah, um, I think people, the one question which um, has been popping up is how um, you just mentioned about uh, the debt being like you being like a bank. Uh, can you give us a couple of different examples of how we could um, invoice people to make sure that we reduce the time of debt, especially now in the crisis, you know, in, uh, the crisis leadership? How can we manage our uh, money better? Sure, I can definitely do that. There's, a, there's quite a few different ways. So I'm going to, soon I'll cover off on cash flow timelines. So I'll cover that topic as we do that then. Is that okay with you? Awesome. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Great. So now we're going into the section about measuring our money. And the point about measuring our money is we've got to know what to measure, how to measure it, where to find the information and what to do with it when we do find it. So we're going to pop in first to this little guy, the profit and loss statement. Now, sometimes this is called an income and expenditure statement. It's exactly the same thing, right? So um, in Australia, we call it a profit and loss, usually. And on the profit and loss, you'll see a few things that look a bit like this. So we're just gonna work through this example and we're going to get, uh, I'm gonna explain what the terms mean so that you just have a working understanding and you can see back some of the names of the things that we've already talked about. So revenue, it's the price times volume. And I've just got here that we're expecting product one to give us $50,000 in revenue and service one to give us $100,000. Now that's just, you know, these are just figures that we've put into this so that I can give you some examples. That gives our total revenue at $150,000. Now, 
Then we have our cost of sales. Remember those cogs? <laughs> That's these guys. So for product one, we might have materials and we might have labor to turn those materials into something. For, for service one, we might just have time for somebody. So that might be something like um, web development or something like that. So you, there may not be very much cost associated with it, like material cost, but there's definitely time associated with it. When we add all of those cost of sales up, we get the total cost of sales. And when we take the total cost of sales away from total revenue, that's when we get gross profit. So there's three different types of profit. Gross profit is a bit of an indicator as to whether or not we should be getting, uh, charging more or paying less. As a rule of thumb, there's, uh, we usually say about 30% goes into cost of sales, but it does depend, it does depend on the industry very much so. You can find out the measures for your industry if you go online and just start to Google it, what is a you know, typical cost of sales percentage for da, 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 you know, manufacturing dog biscuits or whatever it is. So that gives us our gross profit. Our gross profit margin is the gross profit divided by the total revenue and turned into a percentage, so multiplied by 100. So you can see here, gross profit margin around about 60%, not too bad. Now the next section of the profit and loss, it starts underneath the gross profit and it's the expenses. Now these are the regular operating expenses of your business. Rent, electricity, wages, that might be particularly bookkeeping, um, getting your admin tasks sorted. A lot of small businesses when they start up get almost crushed by subscription costs. So have a really close look at your subscriptions. Make sure that you're not paying too much for anything. Remember, you can start and build. You don't need everything that's whiz-bang. I know particularly, particularly mechanics love to have all of the bits that are just humming along. <laughs> but just think about it. Is it going to actually give you enough of a return on investment to invest your time, energy and money in that right now? Or are you better trying to find a way to pay somebody a few dollars an hour in an offshore team to just manually do the process? So, as I said, sorry. sorry, for our everyone who's listening, um, in week two and three, we're really going to go into resources and into team. So there will be the debate to be had of what do I buy a subscription for versus what would I hire a team member for. So that's really exciting. Thank you so much, Deb. Oh, great. Yes, I knew that you guys were going to uh, build all of the team stuff and everything together. So this is, it's such an exciting program to really look at the whole uh, range of things that you need for your business and just get covered off on all of it at once. It's really good. So when you have your total expenses and you take your total expenses off your gross profit, you get what they call operating profit. And once again, the operating profit margin is um, this operating profit divided by the total revenue multiplied by 100 to make it a percentage. And that operating profit is a really good indicator of whether or not your business is managing to uh, make the sales and cover the costs of those sales. So another rule of thumb here is that those expenses should be around about another third. But that's once again, very, very, very dependent on industry and you can find that out. 
So our final section of our profit and loss statement starts underneath the operating profit and it brings in the different expenses. Now, other income here. At this time, a lot of the uh, businesses around the world are, and governments around the world are getting grants. And this is where your grant would show up because if you put it up in your revenue, it's giving you an inaccurate picture if you're comparing it year to year. So it would come in under other income. And then you've got expenses like depreciation and tax. You might have interest expenses. They come in here under other expenses. So take them out of your expenses up above because they're not your operating expenses. They're happening afterwards. So those total up to your other income and expenses. And when you take those away from your operating profit, that's when you get your net profit. Now your net profit is the investor measure of your success. So if we go back here, uh, this gross profit is a measure of your uh, sales conditions. So it's a measure of how well your, your sales performance and what you're selling is actually part of that. So that's kind of a yellow type of strategy. The operating profit gives a good measure of your management skills, of managing your expenses. This is your green spectrum kind of measure for your business. And your net profit is your investment measure or your blue measure of your business. Now, net profit has to have enough left over for it to come back into your business so that you can grow and pay you what you need to have. So you might actually be paid in several places in your, um, in your profit and loss. And we're gonna cover that in a little while in um, business models. But are there any questions so far on the nuts and bolts of a profit and loss statement? I would love for you to clarify why someone as a startup or, you know, like who's got no customers and they're heading into new customers or generating a new promotion in the yellow space. Why should they uh, really look at the green level and the um, blue level um, measures at the same time? Okay, great question. Now, the reason you should look at your green and blue level measures is because if you are going to ever be green or blue, you've got to account for them already. You need to know how you would pay a manager to come in and manage your business. You need to know that, you know, if you're not at least taking 10%, you can, that's a rubbish investment. Why would you spend your time and energy on something that wasn't even giving you 10%? You could go and do better in the marketplace. So you should be thinking of your businesses. This isn't just about... Um, buying your, yourself a job this is about having an exit strategy should you wish to and you may not wish to but sometimes things happen and if you're the one who's always on the tools if something happens you can't get out of that you're always there you're always having to do it so if you become sick or if you want to have a holiday you know you might want to go on a honeymoon and you can't go away because if you go away there's no income coming in so to have a look at a model that works really well means that you can attract you can attract attract money. So money comes to money. Money flows where money's already flowing. It doesn't go into the dry 
arid wilderness, it goes along the stream and it follows the flow that's already there. So that's why we always make sure that we've got these three parts of profit in our heads. And I'll show you in a breakout, I'll actually show you, share with you my business model. So you can see that I take this very seriously. Well, sort of seriously, semi-seriously. I do know the numbers and I make sure that when we set up our products, it all follows the same model so that I know it's going to be profitable. I think, and this is, uh, Deb, awesome that you're sharing this because everyone who's been on a discovery call with me or have said, you know, like with um, co communication with Rory and, um, and Jan and myself throughout this process, you hear us say quite often that um, even though you're starting up, it's easier to know when you are in your spectrum level, say you are red or you are orange or yellow, to figure out where do you want to go and have a strategy and work backwards. So it is easier to build a business knowing it's going to be green than trying to go from yellow to green without ever had the expectations of going green, right? So, um, yeah, so I really love how you are ex even explaining this in the numbers um, that we really need to have a think about right at, from the beginning, where do we want to, this business to head and also reflect that in our measures. Awesome, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so let's jump into business models because this is exactly relevant right now. So we're going to loop back and cover off the question first that we had before, which is around those whole um, cash flow timelines. So I'm just going to show you this. It may be a little hard to see depending on the size of your screen. But this is when we were talking before about pricing strategies and making sure that you've got things priced. You can see here that uh, the first point is the order being placed. And then you've got that stock arriving. So from that point is when you start to have to pay your accounts payable. So that's what starts your operating cycle, what they call your operating cycle. Now this also works for, um, so this is obviously a, uh, a product-based example, but it's equally relevant for a service-based example. So you finish your work and then you sell the work and then you receive the cash for the work. Now that's typically how people have done things in an old style model. Um, accountants still tend to price like this for most of what they do. Not all of them. A lot of them will price up front or quote up front and some will get payments. So you can do things in a number of ways. Subscription. A subscription might be that uh, you do a little bit of work for them at the start, so there's a bulk of work done, and that they roll that out over time. So, for example, um, I might subscribe to a product. I get the license for that every single month. I get the license to be able to use that product. The first part of that has been when I've had to do the most work or when they've had to do the most work, and that's me paying in the delivery of that and choosing the right um, model or modules for me. And then I just keep paying over time, over time, over time. So that's actually a really great way to get sustainable income. And it's what we do with our CFO services. So they're all on a subscription-based model. Uh, it, it usually takes us a bit longer at the start, um, but that shows them that we're giving them great value. 
etc. So that's how we do our CFO services. However, we don't do that with other services. So we have um, what we call our pivot model and our growth model. They are a 13-week program and we get them to pay up front. Now, if they can't pay up front the whole amount, we get them to do a payment plan, but we add a percentage to it. And that percentage is, number one, a disincentive for taking up the payment plan. But number two is also um, a payment for us for having to forego some of that revenue. So think about that. If you want to do that, you can. There are different um, opportunities around. So we use a product called Split It. And Split It is particularly good for education-based companies. Um, when you exceed a certain turnover per month, they will even give you, so you put, a, a customer on a payment plan, they manage the payment plan, they manage the risk, it costs you part of your um, payment plan, so you just make sure that you roll that into the uplift on the price in the first place. Some of these guys will give you the full amount upfront. So split it um, for some of our uh, customers, gives them the full amount of the service upfront, paid upfront, so they don't have to forego the capital, but they're still getting extra for putting it on the payment plan. So they've got all their money up front and then the customer just has the benefit of, of the payment plan. There's others around, there's afterpay, there's all sorts of payment opportunities like that. So have a good think about whether or not that would suit your, your circumstances. And the easiest way to do it is just really to charge up front or at least get a deposit up front. So there's lots of ways that you can do it. You know, houses are built like this. There's progress and drawdowns that you don't pay for the whole house up front, but you don't wait till the end either because they've got products and so forth they have to get in to finish your house. So what we're trying to do with all of this is actually have a negative cash cycle. Now a negative cash cycle means you're being paid before it has to be paid out. So it would actually flip this whole model back the other way. You would have cash received and then you would have the order placed. Then the stock arrives. Then the finished goods are there. So that you're using your customer's money to fund the production process. It's not always possible, but the shorter that time period, the better. And particularly, try to make this time period, the accounts receivable time period shorter than your accounts payable time period. If we've got any questions on that, that was a lot of information. <laughs> I just think um, we could probably go back to, uh, you know, when you're a startup, will you think um, how much money do you, how much working money do you have, right? So to pay your staff or potentially if you're building a team, like you outsource your subscriptions, like are you gonna pay it out of your own pocket? or are you getting your customer to pay pre-pay pre you? The one really great example I always love to use when my customers go and say they don't want to prepay me, 
um, I always go and say to them, well, can you go to the supermarket and go get your groceries and then ask them to pay later? You can't do that either, right? So we really have had in the past, especially for the industrial model, this, um, this whole idea that the business model is you pay me on the 20th of the month, right? And you do all this work up front and then you're taking the risk that they might not pay you, especially during a crisis. It is very much like that, right? That people are like, um, will I be... Uh, able to um, um, get the money back or not. So a lot of the new projects I start and I have uh, contractors around me that when we start, they go and say, well, I actually don't know your end customer. I don't know they're going to pay you. So we want to be paid upfront. And that's just fair, or at least a deposit or something to be covered for the expenses you're going to have. Otherwise, you'll have a big minus in your bank account. And that's a vicious circle. And it's hard to fund that minus in the bank account right now. You know, yeah. it's, not, it's not so easy to go out and just get another thing or another thing. You're, there's a lot of competition out there for the funding that's available. So you do need to be very aware of how you go about pricing things, getting the money in before you have to spend it. Um, you don't need to have everything set up perfectly. You can just... It, it, a classic example is I've seen somebody in the last few days sell a program that they haven't even invented yet. <laughs> and it's just, and there's nothing wrong with that. You might as well see if the market will bear it at that price with enough detail to know that you can deliver it and know that what they will and won't pay for it before you invest all of your time in some of your funds. Mm. Yes. And the other one is like, so a permanent friend is always great, but the other one is a subscription model as well, right? Like I love special accountants. I love how they changed from my accountant to the two, changed from by the end of the tax year, you get a $4,000 bill and going and saying, actually, I'm going to support you throughout your whole year and I'm going to charge you $300 a, a month. Like that's much more uh, digestible, especially at the start, start right? Like much more digestible to come up with $360 in expenses a month than knowing that in 12 months time, you're going to have a big bill. And the other thing about it is if you think about it, um, it gives you maybe 12 touch points with somebody, 12 ways to say in this month, we've added value to you this way. So we started, we had an accounting firm before we had the CFO firm and we had that for 25 years. And we started pricing that way probably about 12 years ago, where we just set... <laughs> You're way ahead in time. <laughs> Industry leaders. <laughs> um, and so we set it up way ahead. We set it up so that they were actually paying for the following year's tax return to be done. So they were paying us nearly 24 months ahead in some instances. And so that meant that they were going to be loyal for the next 24 months. So then it's a matter of what else can you roll into it? What else can you bundle into the services? And so all of our staffing costs were covered by the subscriptions. And for those who didn't want to do that subscription model, that's fine, but those people on the subscription model came first. They were prioritised. 
There are also so, things about subscriptions as well as the fact that you can pre-plan your cash flow, right? You know uh, when you have a product and you have a, you're delivering over a certain amount of time, you know over that time how much money is coming in. So you're not going, oh, wow, I had this awesome month, you know, I made 5K or 20K or 100K, depending on what your aim is. And then next month, month I've got nothing. You know that there's consistent cash flow coming into your business and you can pre-plan what you do, right? And if you have a high startup cost um, to start a customer on, you can do a split model. So do the, the, a deposit or, a, you know, like a once-off fee, and then you do your subscription model so that they stay engaged. But make sure you don't waste that opportunity to engage. At the moment, the touch points of having weekly touch points or at least fortnightly touch, touch points with your customers is really important because every day is like a week, every week is like a month. And if you're not connecting with them on a regular basis, you're gonna actually lose those customers because that's they'll just walk somewhere else. It's so easy to go somewhere else right now. And people are learning that they can do that. So they're, they're intolerant at the moment of poor service and um, overcharging. So those are the two things to be really aware of is that your service at this time, so traders, I'm sure you love to hear that, that it's, it's absolutely vital to nail it. It's always been the case, despite of what every Dynamo person says. It's like, I love it. It's like, you might be, you need to think about, um, and we are going through this in the process, but you need to think about how do you make your customer feel? Right. If you uh, get an invoice and you deliver once and then you never communicate with them again, well, chances are that they're not going to come back to you. Well, oh, if yeah. you have a regular in regular communication and you're really delivering, right, and you're showing up for the customer, chances are they're going to come back to you more over and over again because there will be no and it will be much harder for the competition to jump in because they have such a strong relationship with you. So yes, trader all the way here. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So I'm going to move on, and this mm -hmm. is our, the same profit and loss that we just had, and I'm calling this a strategic spending plan, but it's also known as a budget. But the reason I call it as a strategic spending plan is that the word budget in itself makes you feel like there's scarcity, that there's not enough. And actually, there's plenty. The net profit in this one is 22%. So there's plenty, right? There, it's, there is enough. You just need to be very strategic about how you put it into your budget. So you can see here, our total revenue for our products and services represents 100% of what's coming in for our operating revenue. We take off our cost of sales and we might say, we might say we're going to set a percentage for each of these things. I'm going to set a 10% for labor on this thing that that's it and so then you can work out what that actually means in your budget and down to your rent your electricity your wages each one of these components you can say these are the things that are deal breakers for me if this goes above that then I know that we're not going to get the profit that I want to have you can even work out your tax and the way you can work out your tax is if you start with your net profit margin what you want to get and you know what your tax rate is for your country you can work that out so say in australia we have a company tax rate of 30 percent 
And if I have a net profit of 20%, 20 times 30 is 20% times 30% is 6%. So 6% of my revenue will go in um, my tax, my company tax. So I can work out already how much my tax bill will be. That's really major because most people, the biggest thing they do is they forget that they've got to pay tax of some sort. And then when the tax bill comes, they haven't got the money. So I'm just making sure that you understand you can actually calculate these things. And just to show you, this is actually my business model. Now, it's cake. Because <laughs> you can have your cake and eat it too. I love this. Every time you do it, I really enjoy that one. <laughs> so I'll go through it little bit by little bit. We start with the idea of philanthropy being the whole cake. So what do we want to give? What do we want to be known for? What's our legacy? And we're very active members for B1G1 and um, I'm a legacy maker for them. And so for me, it's really important to know what impact I want to make in my community. The 3% that we have for the management team, that pays me to manage my business. So I take 3% of everything just to manage my business. Once it gets big enough, then I know I have the money set aside for my C-suite executives. So I can employ a CEO, I can employ, you know, management team, etc. because here it is. Now these numbers will potentially fluctuate as my company grows, but this is what's set for now because this is what works for me now. I give 10% for sales. Now that gives an opportunity to others to sell for me and they know they're going to get 10%. I give 10% for marketing, same thing. If somebody else markets and sells, that's 20%. I give 10% to a return on investment for investors. Guess what? That's me. I'm the investor but I expect to get 10%. I also expect to have 10% go back into the business so I can grow it and that's fine because I'm actually also getting paid to deliver my services at the moment. So I'm here represented and I'll show you in my next slide. You can see that I pay people to co-deliver and I pay people to sell. I pay myself if I deliver and I pay the future in philanthropy. So that delivery, me being a del in delivery in the cost of sales, that's me operating in my business as a yellow level person. Now, when I come down and I pay people for marketing, including partner referrals, and I pay myself as manager, that's me paying myself at green. Then I pay for the privilege of being Australian, and believe me, it is a privilege to be Australian. This is a lot worse places in the world to live. I pay myself as an owner. So there's me being paid as blue. I pay my business into the future so that my business also has its own life ahead of time. And you can see that my 30% tax on the 10% ROI and the 10% profit, that's 30% times 20%, which is 6%. So this is my revenue model. This is how I work out. Every time I work out a product, I work out how much can I sell it for? I calculate all of these things and then I go specifically out and say, would someone sell this for that amount, 10% of that? Would somebody be prepared to sit and do the work for, for this amount? You know, probably wouldn't be quite 50% because there'd be some um, subscription costs and stuff like that in there. 
so there's always a way that I can calculate what I'm going to charge and work backwards and forwards to say, is this a fair rate? If I wasn't going to be doing it myself, is this a fair rate that would enable me to get somebody else to come in and do this at a high level for me? And the answer is usually yes, there is enough. And I, I start by asking somebody how much they'd like for the job. In some instances, they overprice themselves. Mostly they way underprice what I would have been prepared to spend. So it's an interesting way to do it. So you can use this type of system to work out what you should be charging for your services and your products and work backwards and forwards and see is this effect like if I start here and I want 20% and then I've got this and then I've got that and then I've got something else is am I getting to a point where a customer just wouldn't pay for it because it's too expensive so you can work your way backwards and forwards in this are there any questions I haven't asked for a while sorry guys I think one question or one um, statement and I think a lot of people I've seen in the discovery uh, course had this question and this light bulb moment like the biggest thing we, we talk about is make sure you actually cost yourself into your budget. So when I, especially here in New Zealand, and I think Australia is really good at this as well, is the business owner starts and says, yeah, I'll pay myself when I've made money. Yeah. And then you end up working three years, you haven't, you haven't earned anything and you're going, great, everyone else is being paid and you know the world is spinning, but I can't pay my mortgage. Yeah. So, what do you think about that, Deb? What do you like? Yourself yeah. <laughs> so look, you know, um, why why would you take all the risk and then pay other people to earn more than you? You're paying other people to earn more than you out of your own business, and you're taking all the risk. That doesn't make sense to me. So I always say, pay yourself first. If it doesn't look like it can fit into the model, then you're not charging the right thing. But you take or it out. providing the right value, right? Correct. It's all about value exchange. So you either need to find a cheaper way to do it, you might be over-servicing, or maybe it's just not a viable product. That can happen. You know, it might be a great idea, but not a viable product or service, right? So you've got to find balance that pays you because this you can't help the world you can't help your family you can't help your community you can't even help yourself if you're living below the poverty line totally awesome thank you <laughs> my pleasure i'll get off my soapbox now so we're going to jump over into forecasts and this is where i'm going to just stop sharing for a moment and find my other screen so we'll jump over into forecasts and we'll jump into a live forecast. But before we do that, I'll show you the budget template. And uh, this is the personal budget template, but the business one will work exactly the same. And uh, strategic spending template. But, uh, that, and I'll show you how it works. So I'll do that now. And uh, I'll just be a moment while I find the right screen. Okay, here we go. So I'd love feedback now too, if you can put in the chat box if this, this has been um, of value to you because it's always awesome to get feedback like that. So here's our, oh, sorry, that's the wrong one. This is my cash flow planner. Since, since I'm on it, I'll go ahead and use this one. So oh. this, 
<laughs> so this is where we just enter in the week ending and this week is the week ending Friday the 27th um, and we you can see here I've just put in these are three names of my customers so obviously they're not um, full names but you could put in here what the product name was and that sort of thing put in next to it when you expect to get paid for each of these things so you can see here i expect charlie to pay me 300 dollars this week and 300 dollars next week so this is a weekly um, cash flow planner for a quarter so you can make it a rolling cash flow plan because you can just change the date on it and roll it out so now that's how and my is that example meant to show numbers and examples or is that just the template you are talking about uh, this is you can have the template, but I can this is just to show you the examples how to use it I can't see the example. I can only see The uh, budget like the the template itself. Charlie isn't on here. That's why I picked it up Oh, are you seeing the budget template or the cash yes. flow? Planner? Oh, so sorry budget planner is what we're looking right. Okay, I did put the budget. I thought I had the other one up because it was at the front of my screen Forget that I said that, we'll start good. With the budget planner. <laughs> so here, we've just made it so that you can view it on, um, on a different, you can, so anything that you can, there's lots of um, fields that you can't use, right? So they're, they're locked off so that you don't accidentally type over them. But you can choose to see this quarterly or monthly or even weekly and, just enter in here the amount. So here I've said that I want to see a quarterly budget. Now in here, I can enter the amount of my take home pay, um, any bonuses, any overtime, you know, you might be working part time and still have other, I might decide that I want to give $100 per year. Um, and you just work through all of your utilities, all of your bills, all of your major bills, Everything that you have, you can pick and choose whether it's weekly, fortnightly, however frequently you do it, you can put it in here and it will help you calculate all the way through what your budget is. So it'll tell you if your budget's in surplus, it'll help you break it down into the different types of it. And we'll also give that to you. This, uh, uh, some of you may have heard of the six jars system by um, Harvecker and that this will actually help you calculate that too. So that if you're working on the six jars system, so this is my gift to you guys. I'll also give you one for um, business so that you can do the same thing. Just go through it, work out what your exact expenses are. It'll help you calculate it all. And it'll give you the breakdowns so that you can populate your um, strategic spending plan. <laughs> So now I'm going to stop sharing and find the other one that I thought that I had in the first place. <laughs> and it's this quarterly. Now, this is why you couldn't see it before. So now let me just shift it so I can see it. We can only see it in uh, like half a screen. Oh, here we go. Now we can see it. Yeah, Perfect. sorry. I, yeah, it was over to the side. So here's our quarterly cash flow planner. And this here, we just changed the date here according to whichever week, Friday week ending. So you can see here it's set for the uh, 27th of May. And that will actually just, um, so if I change that to, if I say if I change that to the 20th of May, 
you'll see that it will just actually change all the dates in there. So you don't have to do anything other than the gray squares. That's it. And uh, let me just put it back. And you can see here that I expect this week and next week for Charlie to be paying me some money. Um, Bob's is going to come in over time. Therese will come in, you know, over time as well. And that gives me my total income. Now, I've also got people who I have to pay. And here I've got Harry and Millie, Ted. Um, I've got my rent. I've got electricity. Now, these are just figures that I've thrown in just to show you how it works, okay? So they don't expect them to be anywhere net correct. But you can see as I scroll down to the bottom, the net cash flow that I've got coming in for this week is actually less. That's why it's red. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the red <laughs> for this week. Anywhere where there's red, I now have the opportunity to say, you know what, I'm not gonna pay Millie here. I'm going to pay Millie here. And that you, you will have to decide what that looks like. You might take a payment arrangement with Millie or you might pay it over time. Now you can see my cash flow is actually positive. So this is how you can use this cash flow tool. You can also do the same thing for investing and financing. That won't be so relevant to you guys right now um, at, in startup stage. It's there for the future if you need it. Uh, and it all pulls into this cash flow summary at the start and you just need to put your opening bank balance into the start there. So if your opening bank balance is $2,000, you pop it in there and it will bring through all the information and all the rest of it and it will tell you what your closing bank balance should be at the end of the week, where the money's coming in, going out, where you might have to worry. Like here, even though it's net cash, there was a, you were in the red from your operating activity, what that actually means is that you're drawing out of the original funds that you had in your bank account. So that's how you use this quarterly cash flow planner. Once again, it's a gift, so which is cool. You get to have a gift. It's always nice to get presents. Are there any questions on how to use either of those two tools? I think... Um... I, what I love is um, I actually run my cash flow. I have never seen you show the quarterly cash flow planner before, but I have pretty much the same sp same spreadsheet apart from um, my color scheme is a little bit different. But um, what I love about it is, guys, um, really important that you only enter into the gray bits so that um, you don't override any of the other formulas and it pre-calculates everything yourself. Now, one big tip I can give you guys as you're starting, because a lot of the participants we already have here, they are used to be um, having one bank account for business and personal, right? They throw everything. <laughs> Debra, I love your face. It's like, yes. So. Uh, I think key action is for you guys, when you start a new business, you need to have a separate bank account for your business to make it, the, the apart from many, many reasons, your accountant in the end of your year who's going to do your tax returns is going to appreciate it and is going to charge you half of what you would normally be charged because you have those two separated. So it's definitely worthwhile opening a new account, eh, Debra? It is. Just think about this way too. Everything that you've got in your home receipts 
will then go through your business accounts. So those things that you don't want your accountant knowing that you've bought, you, you really just don't want to have them go through your, your books. There's some extraordinary things you can find out your customers buy. Let me just tell you that. That's <laughs> <laughs> a great story for another day. I love this. Um, but with the cash flow planner, I think the key thing to remember here is that the surplus you have week by week, and that's referring back to the personal accounts, the surplus you have uh, um, coming week by week, um, it's not necessarily there. So you can go and say, oh, I've got a couple of grand spare. I'm going to take them out of my business. That's Correct. not, it's, it's about showing, like you see with the uh, weeks where you are in red, to go and say, okay, will I have, by the time I had red, will I have enough in my bank account to cover this from the previous weeks? And that's a really great point. So you should actually have your name here. And this should be a, never broken. So say you want to take $2,000 a week out of your business for yourself. That is the one that you never, ever break, right? Mm -hmm. And you never shift that one. That one's coming out. So now it's already in the cash flow. Mm -hmm. So include paying yourself in the cash flow. You'll find you can only, like, you don't have to worry, Paulina, you can only type into, I blocked the other squares. Oh, nice. And I like people mucking up my spreadsheets. <laughs> but yeah. You can mechanic. <laughs> mechanic, that's right. So see, you can put yourself in there and then you know that it's got to be paid. You can prioritise these, you know. You can say, like, these are the deal breakers, they have to be paid. These are the ones that I don't care and these are the others. You know, you, you specify what you want. It's your cash flow. But if you pay yourself first, you won't have the problem of dipping into that fund because you'll already have enough to cover. You do the personal budget first. It'll tell you how much you need. Stick that into your cash flow forecast. Leave it there and work out how you're going to cover it. That would be my tip. I like it. So I agree, um, when I recommend, I will always go pay yourself first, then pay your staff, and then pay your suppliers, and make it like, and figure out how you're gonna cover those, right? So don't overcommit yourself. We don't want you to go back into an infrared state where you're going to end up uh, paying out more than you're getting in. Um, absolutely, I'm not asking you to put $10,000 a week in right now, but really think about the steps of how you're gonna get to um, to the income you want to have in future. But Deb, a question I have for you. For yes. our beautiful uh, Dynamo Stars uh, support, supporters right now who are all looking at the spreadsheet with like a panic in their face. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, um, and, and I have a couple of examples, but tell me what, how would you link for, for Dynamo Blaze Energy, how would you link back the cash flow and why they should be doing it? Okay. Well, I have to say that Dynamo love bright, shiny things. So cash flow is the best way to make sure that you have the money for your bright shiny things. So put your bright shiny things in there as your little carrot. If you know that there's something that you want coming up, you just put that in there, put that in as an extra amount that you know you're gonna either take for your personal use or that you want for your business, 
put it in there. Give yourself the carrot. Don't just give yourself the stick of filling it in. Because it is a stick for people who don't like um, looking at spreadsheets and stuff. And you can, as your business gets bigger, there are, there are definitely ways to automate this. Uh, but it's really good practice to do it by hand first. It makes you aware of what it is that you've, um, what you're paying out, what you're taking in. It, it's just a really good practice to start having. This is something that a junior can take on for you though. So once you've got it sorted out, you don't need to, to a certain extent, you can set and forget. But I have left the, the heavy, <laughs> the heaviest parts to the end because it is really challenging for a lot of people who are high in Dynamo and high in Blaze to look at a spreadsheet and not freak out. And in fact, I know a lot of people who do freak out and most of our customers fall into that, uh, that space of being high blaze, high dynamo. We have a lot of stars and a lot of creators um, as our customers. So this is probably the, the part that you want to outsource the quickest, but just get a really good handle on what it means to do it. And there's, I'm sure there's ways that you can reach out to the team as well to have some assistance if that's something that you're really struggling with. You might find that you can um, collaborate with someone else on this call where they're really good at it and they're really not great at, say, marketing. So just be aware that you can trade services as well. So if that's easier for you to do, you jump on a group call with a couple of mates and you fill it out together and you have fun while you're doing it. Yes. So absolutely. I, I love that. Have a carrot because I quite often when I talk to Blaze Energy and they go, oh, do I really have to do this? They're like, you wanted that holiday or you wanted to, um, you want to do that passion project. This is your way of how you're going to get there and understand how you're going to generate the income or the, the money for yourself to finance that holiday, that, that passion project, that, you know, um, giving back whatever it is you want to do. And the other side to it as well is I think if you are a business owner and we all here to become, to start up a business or already, you know, in a business which you are starting up, I would go and say that the key thing to remember is you're taking all the responsibility. You are the one who, are, who is liable for everything. So you need to understand your financials, right? So that you know and say, okay, is there hard times coming up? How, you know, what do I need to do to immigrate those hard times? If you don't know and you just let the money flow, then you will find out yourself either back straight into infrared where we don't want you in the first place, or you find that you're never actually generating enough income because you've never put a figure to it of how much money you wanted to, to make, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So before I summarize, Dave, do you have any um, final words of wisdom? I do. I do. Every business owner deserves to sleep well. You deserve to sleep well. So you just need to know that you can, if you've got this covered, this will be for some of you the biggest stress of your whole business and you'll wonder why, but you deserve to sleep well and these are the tools that will help you sleep well. So just be very aware that they're out there, that there's support available, that you can get all the support that you need and that, that just reach out to the team 
they've been great the whole way through this answering questions and making sure that everybody's got what they need and can use all the supplies and everything else. So just keep reaching out to the team. Perfect. Thank you so much, Deborah. I, re I really appreciate it. And I know everyone else on this call is appreciating the time you've put into this for us. So um, I love the analogy of everyone, every business owner deserves to sleep well, especially because cash is one of those problems which will never go away. You might have a grumpy customer who disappears. You might have a sale which you've missed. You, you know, things pass, but a cash flow problem is never going to disappear it's only going to get bigger so having the tools and the foundations really in place helps you to grow your business and make um yeah in leaps and bounds and you know make more money for not only yourself but for the people around you and for the future deborah i love that you have um uh, giving back to the global or to the future as part of your uh, financials. I know you are a big uh, B1G1 supporter and part of the Le legacy club for B1G1. We had Paul on Wednesday who's been like sharing some amazing stuff with us. So I know you've been doing some wonderful things with them. Really. And and what I love about that whole area is around B1G1 is also the fact that you can start little. Every, like when I first started and I, I was thinking about how do I get the first two, three thousand dollars in in revenue, I could, you know, spend a dollar or two dollars a day, a, a month and still make an impact into the wider world. That's awesome. Yeah. So for everyone, thank you, Deborah. This has been great. So your guys' takeaways here from today, because we've covered a lot of stuff, right? Is one is uh, we're gonna do a little bit of research. So implementation over the next on, of uh, all of today, uh, rest of the day, and over the weekend, we have all about. Um, research your income so how much can you actually charge yourself out in so like deborah said uh, sometimes we undercharge we sometimes we overcharge so when you're setting a budget um really do some research of what is market value for the roles you're giving yourself in your business other one is research margins what are um in your industry what are uh, margin standards so to give you a little bit of a guideline of where to go and how much money you can um, how much money you should be spending and how much money you should be uh, charging for things. And then jump into the two tools, the cash flow summary and the vision budget planner, and really pre-plan not only your cash flow for the quarter, which is really important because we will be using this pre-planned cash flow from the quarter to then use for your customer pathway and the compelling offer and everything else. So it's great to start there, but also your personal budget planner of how much um, um, what's your personal um, budget look like so that you're really clear on the understanding of where you're at. That will also give you a much better understanding of uh, where you are on the spectrum level as you're putting the numbers in because it will surprise you. It will, when I did this the first time around and if you don't know how to put the numbers in because you're like, I don't know how much money I spend, a really good exercise to do is go into your bank account and download the last three months worth of uh, expenses and categorize them into those groups. That will give you a really good understanding of how much money you're spending on things. And man, the amount of money I spend on coffee. <laughs> Let's say <laughs> I could have bought myself a coffee machine over and over and over again, right? And save myself some money. 
And then the last thing is really, um, we will be working over, this over the next few weeks, but really have a think about what kind of financial model do you want? Would it be an upfront cost? Would it be a subscription model? Like not so much about how much you're gonna charge, but uh, what type of model would be working for your industry and for you right now where you're at in your business, even if it's a startup, or you know you are, you you where you have um, sorry a freelance business where you have zero to customers and trying to get to put your first ten or if it's a startup you know where you're growing from there really what is the financial model you're looking at perfect so we will be live in the stream um, um, as usual every day feel free to ask any questions and um, the facilitators are in those groups supporting you to make sure that you are getting what you need to set this up before we kickstart for the following week. Thank you, Deborah. Awesome, thank you so much and Such good luck pleasure. everybody. Yes, we don't need luck, we've got, we've got templates. We just need to act them, template queen, right? It's not about luck, it's about action. That's right, it is, it's about implementing. Perfect, thank you for your time, Deborah. Thanks, Paulina.